0: Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. And I'm just reading 2 and 3 because I'm actually going to be covering nearly the entire book of James. So buckle in. (laughs) Not that way, I'm not going (laughs) to... Praise the Lord. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. What's some of your other versions say with various there? What's that, diverse? Is there another word somebody has? Many trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith... All right, this isn't the testing of a random person in the Bible's faith. Clearly, it's a testing of our faith, okay? Produces. You say produces? The testing of my faith is going to produce endurance. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we um, ask that you teach us today, Lord. Lord, give us ears to hear and to learn and to really treasure what you've given us in this word, Lord, today. Bless it and uh, speak it through me, Lord God. I know that I'm not the perfect messenger, Lord, but deliver the word through me, Lord. your name I pray, amen. Praise the Lord. So as we go through the book of James here... James is a very interesting person. When you try to figure out who this James is, there's several. It's a pretty common name, so there's very little doubt who it is. It's not James and John who were called the sons of thunder. It's not them. The sons of Zebedee is what their father's name was. It's not um, the James that was the father of Judas that Luke and Acts talks about, and this is not Judas Iscariot, it's another Judas but this is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And so that means that uh, James had the same mother, and James' father was who? But Jesus' real father was who? God. So that's a very unique half-brother. And I think sometimes when we talk about James, we don't think about James as the brother of Jesus. And when you look in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that at that time, none of his brothers believed he was who he said he was. And so um, James, and also the author of the book of Jude, were Jesus' little brothers. So I think it's really cool to think of them that way. Who have ever thought about Jesus as my big brother? Think about it. Would we ever think about that when we talk about James? James's older brother, how many know that a lot of times you admire your brother? And a lot of times, Joey's back there, and boy, I admire him. my older brother. (laughs) He was hoping I wouldn't say anything. I could see him. But how many know that uh, James and uh, and, uh, Jude were his younger brothers. And for a long time, they didn't believe who he was. But one of the great um, things that really shows proof that Jesus was who he said he was, was for a long time, his own countrymen wouldn't believe who he was. A lot of time, his own family didn't believe who he was. But then as they began to approach his ministry and began to see... Man, look at all these things he's doing in his ministry. And, you know, even your own little brother is kind of like, well, wait a minute, you know, this isn't normal, right? And there, there's a lot of uniqueness to growing up with Jesus, and then the crucifixion had everybody confused. You know, they were trying to sort out what was happening uh, because he appeared to be the Messiah, Then he's crucified, and then his own little brothers witnessed his resurrection. And so now his own little brothers who at one time didn't believe what he was saying, James uh, and Jude were both uh, martyred because they believed so firmly and securely and had faith in their big brother, which is amazing. Amazing. Think about it. We have faith in Jesus Christ. They had faith in the one they grew up with. You know, it's really, it's amazing to think about. And so sometimes my mind gets into this little adventure when I'm reading the Bible. I'm trying to put myself in their shoes and in their position. And, and so James uh, ends up being martyred um, in the year, I think, about 62. And this book was probably written around 45 A.D. So about... 17 years after this, his own brother was martyred for his faith in his older brother (laughs) as the Messiah that he'd waited for his entire lifetime. And so if I told you that there was a verifiable letter from the little brother of Jesus who walked with him his whole life, Seen all of his miracles in his ministry. I mean, no, you don't quite get an insight into somebody unless you know their brother or who they grew up with. Like, if there's a famous celebrity, you may think you know that person because you've seen him on the news or you've seen him on TV shows or whatever, but you really don't know him until you get the documentary and um, you look at that documentary and they start talking about. Hey, here's how what his mom thinks about him, and here's what his brother thinks about him. And, here's... and so the Holy Spirit is working through the brother of Jesus to speak to us. And if I told you there were a surviving letter, let's not say the Bible, because we get different ideas when I say Bible. But let's say that a letter existed from his brother, and that whole letter was about genuine faith. What is it real? What is real faith? and it was verifiable that that letter was from his brother who gave his life and was martyred, you would listen to that letter very carefully. Because here's the problem. As we go around this world that we live in, and we say we want people to have faith, we desire more than anything for people to have faith in Jesus Christ. And then I ask, do you have faith in Jesus Christ, and what is it? And people begin to um, vacillate a little bit. How many know that? People begin to kind of shudder at the thought, well, I don't know necessarily what real faith is. You know, and and, well, explain to me, do you have the genuine faith? And even strong Christians will shudder and say, well, I don't know. What does it mean? And you begin to sort out in the Bible what is real genuine faith. And you say, well, it's making a profession in Jesus Christ and trusting him as the Lord of your life. And that is correct. But how do we know we have genuinely done that? How do we know that it's authentic faith, it's real faith? And so James, better than almost any book, is very complete in the way that he answers that question. And he's a very good source because he literally grew up with Jesus and probably looked up to Jesus and even doubted after that the great work that he was called to do and then witnessed everything with the resurrection and everything changed. And uh, he was considered one of the pillars of the early church. How many have ever watched an antique show? One of the great things about an antique show is the experts that know how to authenticate. You know, they know how to say... This is authentic, This is um, they have a process of verification to be able to look and say, and it's really amazing to watch, you know, if it's a very well-known piece of furniture, they know that there are certain markings on that furniture that can verify that that particular person made it. They can, uh, you know, if it's a piece of furniture, they know there's certain markings that that particular company would do when they made it or, and it's really tough to find an expert who can verify something is authentic, right? And, but it's really cool to see because it don't take them very long, does it? They can, they can really quickly find anything in the antique world and they'll pull an expert in that knows how to authenticate it. And so faith, It's nice if you have a process that can authenticate it. And that's what James is doing, is authenticating that you have legitimate faith. Because here's the thing, church. When it comes to my family, I don't care if my family makes a lot of money or is in poverty, as long as they have authentic faith. In the church... A lot of things that we consider to be valuable aren't that valuable. The thing that I really care about, about every person in this church is do you have authentic faith? And you say, well, Chad, I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to put you on a pedestal or I'm going to love you or I'm going to, you know, give you nice things or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. But really, my whole goal is to authenticate, to verify that what we're being taught in the Bible is real faith. And this is the problem. You go around this world and if we don't authenticate it with the Word of God, then we may go our whole life thinking we have faith because um, the Catholic Church authenticated it. The Pentecostal Church authenticated it. The Methodist Church authenticated it. You know, uh, some other church, some non-denominational church authenticated it. And what I want to do is I want to make sure it's verified by the word of God that the profession that I made is true and it's real. And if my family and if my church have that, I'm a happy man. But if it's anything but that, you say, "Well, Chad, we're living a happy life. Man, I got a wonderful family. I got a great job. I got all these wonderful things." Then I'm sad, man. I'm broken-hearted. Because I'm trying to authenticate faith. I want to make sure it's the real thing, and I want to be able to define. I want to be able to test it. How many know that if I gave somebody a diamond to verify and authenticate, they'd be able to take that diamond, and they would take it through their first test. that almost tells me for sure. And then if that one doesn't work, then they go to the next test, and that'll tell me for sure. Then they'll go to the third verification, and that'll tell you for sure. Okay, and so they're, they're trying to authenticate it. And you say, well, wait a minute, Chad. Maybe it's just simple as the profession. And I agree, it is. Because how many know the thief on the cross made an authentic profession of faith? Because the only way we know that, we would not know that he made an authentic, verifiable profession, except for the fact that Jesus said, That I will see you in paradise. That you'll see me very shortly and we'll be, you'll be okay. And I gotta think that that person that was on the cross, God had um, really, uh, remember, he's dying on the cross next to Jesus and something in his heart just began to realize that this is the Son of God and he really truly was repentant of his sins. And it was verifiable by Jesus. But how many know if Jesus didn't verify it? I don't know. Does everybody understand that? If he wouldn't have verified that the faith in that guy's heart was true faith and verifiable, I wouldn't know. I I just would know that somebody on the cross said, save me. I wouldn't know what his motivation was. I wouldn't know if it was a true profession of faith. But this one had a real conversion on the cross. And so what's really cool is, is there are ways to verify that the profession I made in Jesus Christ is a real profession. And I want to biblically show you through the book of James. And it really all I'm doing is reading scriptures. And um, But it's the scriptures from the little brother of Jesus. And he died for his faith and he knew him really well. And so I don't want to take my opinion of what faith is from the world or from some church denomination or some person. I want to take it directly from the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit through somebody who knew the Savior really well. And so if you break down James, a lot of times we read James and it sounds like about 13 different conversations. But James is actually the same conversation 13 different ways. He's talking about genuine faith, and in the beginning of the book is what I read He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And he's saying, know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. James is actually talking about the testing of faith through this whole book. He's trying to teach us to have something. I want everybody throughout their lifetime to have a book that they can go to and say, am I being tested and do I have the true faith? Okay, Now faith saves you, but these 13 tests authenticate that you have real faith. And what he's going for is, and in about five different places, he uses the word perfect, mature, or complete. These 13 things aren't things that you're going to master, but they're things that you're actively pursuing. Okay, in order to have a complete and a mature and a perfect faith, we're expected to have activity with our faith. And, and James is all about the activity of faith. How many of you know faith has an activity? It means it's active, it's moving, it's doing things. Uh, when it's in you, it doesn't reside passively, passively. It doesn't just reside and say, I made the profession, good deal, man, I'm going to live the rest of my life really nice knowing that I did that and got off my chest. It doesn't just reside there. It, 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 it's a good profession. It's a profession that you made. You say, I want Jesus Christ the Lord in my life. And now all of a sudden, now it's time to just go out there and live it out. What he's done in me, I'm going to let him live through me now. And so here's the 13 things and, that uh, James lists in this book. And we may not even connect in, some of these with faith. But the first one is the test of trials, and this one will really amaze you. So I've read this a million times, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, so you may be perfect and complete. Do you see the complete there? Perfect, lacking in nothing. But if anyone lacks wisdom, now here's something we don't notice. I may have ever read the scripture, anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now a lot of times we quote that talking about general knowledge, which it's good to quote it for that, it is that. If we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to us. But what is the context of that? You have to point an arrow up to various trials. And you say, well maybe he has a different subject here. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised. This is a whole conversation about various trials. So the first test is, how will my faith react to various trials? And the reason why he says various or different trials is because they're all different and they're all varied Okay, that's a revelation I know, but there are some trials that are common to every man because we live in a fallen world. How many know that? There's some trials like a car breaking down. Finances have to be met. Uh, there's sicknesses, there's flu, there's disease, there's lots of things in this world. That's why they're called various Trials and you say, Well, man, why is God putting me through this? There are various trials, church. We're all going to go through the Bible says it falls on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Um, and there are some times that God is specific with the trial. And if God is ever specific with the trial, He's trying to produce something in you. And the only way to produce that in you is the trial. And so faith, the first test of faith is, how do you handle the various trials? And so if I have the real thing, if I have the authentic, verifiable faith, it says that I'll ask for wisdom. How many you know that when you're going through something really hard, you want to know why? And so it's saying faith Rather than acting like everybody that doesn't have faith, a person with faith will inquire of God until they get an answer. And sometimes, church, my answer didn't come until 15 or 20 years later. So if you have real faith, and here's the non genuine faith, the non sincere faith, okay, and God will burn all that away and he'll see what's left. Okay, the non sincere faith is I hate you, God or I'm not going to I'm not going to endure through this because it was not supposed to be this way. Even though God constantly says it's normal. Okay? But the wise person who has faith says, I'm going to endure it and I'm going to figure out what's happening. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my faith. I'm not going to blink an eye. I'm going to keep walking forward knowing that he does still love me. He does still care about me. He does Want to explain to me what's going on, he just hasn't yet. And so, the first test of real faith to see if a person has a true profession of faith is will you pass the test of the various trials? And you say, Well, man, why is God bringing all these trials? I already said they're various trials. You know, God didn't make necessarily all those trials there, they're normal trials that every person has to deal with. And some are allowed to be specific. That's biblical. So the test of the various trials, these see, these things aren't tests like God wants to see if you pass or fail. See, a lot of times we say, well, God's given me a test. If I fail, I go to hell. And if I pass, I go to heaven. That's not what the test is. The test is for us so we know that we're standing in faith. Like, how will I know I'm standing in faith? Because I went through all these trials and I'm still here. And so I'm I'm thankful to God that I have an ability to make sure it's genuine. Like, if I have a real diamond, I want to authenticate it. If I have a fake diamond, keep me away from the authenticators. You understand what I'm saying? So when I read the book of James, what I'm trying to do is I'm saying, God... Help me authenticate my faith because I want to know that I have the right one. I want to make sure I have real faith and not what some other church is saying or what some other man is saying. Okay, boy, everybody's already yawning and early, and I got a lot more notes. I'm a, I'm at a crossroad here. I'm on number one, and I got thirteen. <laughs> so everybody's going to have to get some coffee or walk around or something. Be ready. The second one James talks about, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is actually tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Therefore, when lust conceives, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from heaven, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow in the exercise of His will. The good and perfect gifts that are coming down are all the good things that we're able to do in our life through God. Now get this, church. The second test of your faith is, when I'm tempted, will I blame God or will I say, it's me that's being tempted by my own lust? Oh, now wait a minute. If I am tempted to steal, anybody ever had a temptation to steal a piece of bubble gum? Or steal anything that's not yours? Or say, hey, you know, candy jar there, not my candy, but I'm going to take one of them? Anybody ever been tempted to steal? Did God make you a thief? Did God design you to be a thief? Did he say, I have designs on that person to make them a thief? God did not tempt you. And because you had the temptation, you weren't born a thief. Amen? Everybody agrees, right? Fornication. If I'm tempted to pornography, did God create me an adulterer? Did God decide that my design for you is to be an adulterer? Nobody would make that jump, would they? God designed us to be married and to be loyal and to be faithful and not have that temptation. If I am tempted to be angry and want to fight people all the time, did God create me to be a murderer? Was I just designed to be a murderer? Okay, well, answer me this if all those are true. If God put homosexual lust and a temptation there, did he create me to be a homosexual? Well, if the answer to all the other ones are true, then the answer to that one must be true also, that you're driven away by your own lust and God never intended you to be a homosexual. The test of faith is, when I'm tempted, do I blame God? This is the, the what is it, second one only? Yeah. Second one. Do I blame God when I'm tempted and say I was created that way? Or does my faith say that God doesn't like sin and He doesn't want that in my life? Just because you're tempted does not mean that's what you were created to be. Amen? Second test of faith is we don't blame God for our sin. We use the Word of God to help us out of sin. Hallelujah. Number three, the test of responding to God's Word. James chapter 1 says, This you know, my beloved brethren. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore... Put aside your filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. In humility, that means in humbleness, receive my word and which is able to save your soul. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. For if anyone hears and doesn't do, he's like a man that has uh, looks at his natural face in a mirror and who's looked at himself, he goes away and forgets the kind of person he was. But one who looks intently in the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, um, he doesn't become a forgetful hearer, but is an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in everything he does. So the third test is, am I a responder to the word? If you have real faith, you will put aside your filthiness. You'll put aside, it says, all filthiness and remains of wickedness. I like the way he says that. So here's a test of faith. If somebody says they have real faith, James, Jesus' little brother, would say, if you have real faith, when's the last time you put aside all your filth and read the Word of God? Because a test of true faith is that person will read the Word of God and lay aside his filth. And you say, well, man, I'm, I'm clean, man, I'm good, I'm a wonderful do-gooder. Well, good luck because you're not going to make it into heaven as a wonderful do-gooder. You'll make it into heaven if you realize that we're all sinners and we're required to go to the Word of God and put down our filthiness and our wickedness. You say, well, I don't ever do that. You've got to test and see if that faith is genuine then. You say, "Will that save me when I do that? Therefore, put aside all filthiness, all remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul. Yeah, it'll save you. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought it was just faith. Faith has activity. Faith moves forward and says, okay, let's take a look in the mirror. And if you're not doing that, then that person may not have genuine faith. Because everything in me says he saved me. I was wicked. I was wretched. Grace is amazing. So now God changed me. And so I want to look in that mirror. And if you don't want to look in the mirror, all right? Some people don't want to look in the mirror. It's like, man, I'm too ugly. I don't want to look at it. I've been there. we got to want to look in the mirror and say, God, change me. we got to see what we really are, and that's what God wants us to do. It's healthy. But that's a genuine mark of faith. Test of impartial love. This is a big one. James goes into chapter 2 here. He says, my brethren, do not hold your faith. See, he's talking about faith still. Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude. Wait a minute. (laughs) He's talking about my attitudes. Don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. Where it is man, where if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and then also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, uh uh-oh, I thought that was just to the leadership. I thought that was just saying how we treat people and leader, you know, the leader should be nice to everybody and not, you know, let one be more favorable because that's more money for tithes. No, it's saying that something in us when we have genuine faith realizes that we're not all that realizes that when a poor person comes in, he goes on here, he says, "Um, you pay special attention to the one wearing fine clothes. You say, sit here in the good place. You say to the poor man, stand over there and sit down on my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored that poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress and personally drag them into court? Do not do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, I like that, according to the Scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourself. You are not doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin. So something inside genuine faith recognizes that I was saved by grace and I was wretched. And so if I have the genuine product... And it's being authenticated by James, Jesus' little brother. He thinks that I should have a partiality toward everybody. He believes that I should see people in a different light. Like if they're rich and they're oppressing me, then I need to see them in a different light. How many agree with that? That I should be really careful about how I judge people because... God loves everybody, right? God loves the poor. God loves the rich. It just, if you're, say you have faith and we're not trying to save to the ends of the earth, then we've got to question how genuine it is. We've got to, and you say, well, wait a minute. We went through four of them now. Are we supposed to be perfect in all these? His goal is to build a perfect man of God. He's already said it in four places there. But here's the thing. Active faith is pursuing that in our life. We're pursuing all these things. You say, well, man, if I'm not going to be perfect, I don't want to do it. Perfect gets in the way of good. But God says faith should be reaching out in all these areas to be authentic faith. And so we're all trying to grow in that area. Amen? Praise the Lord. The next one is called the test of righteous work. James in 2.14 says, What use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? He uses that example to say, Even so, faith. He's saying that, Faith has to be exercised in order to show that it actually exists. It's invisible until you do something. And so he says, But someone may say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe that also, and they shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham justified by his works? In fact, you go down and you can read the rest of that all the way down to verse 26. But what he's saying here is, all of the demons have faith. So a genuine test of faith is not that you have faith. That's kind of like a circular argument, isn't it? How do do I know you have faith? Because I have faith. How do you know you have faith? Faith, man. (laughs) And what James is saying, I love James because he's just like really practical and blunt and down to the point. Okay, your faith is invisible, church, unless you do something. So he's using the example, faith is like looking at a person who's shivering and saying, I have faith you're going to have a colt. Go, be at peace, you're good. And he's saying, what good is your faith in him having a colt unless you give him a colt? A lot of people take that scripture, they're not looking at the context, he's saying the man's still cold, even though you have faith he's going to have a cult. <laughs> he still needs a cult. So it's like, how do you know you have faith? Because I have faith. He's saying you need to have works that are in keeping with your faith. The works don't save you, but you have to question the genuineness of faith if a person is not doing anything with that faith. So the test of righteous works. This one's a real tough test. Can I tell you something? I failed all these within the last week. But that doesn't mean I'm not like the little God wants us to be the little engine that could. You know, that little engine just never would quit, would he? I may mean, read that book when you were a kid. Most one of the most important books you'll read in your life. The little engine that could. Okay, that's what our faith is. We're just constantly maturing and growing because we never quit trying. We fail constantly, but we're always pursuing God in faith. And God is changing us and we don't even know it. And you say, well, man, I don't know, Chad, you're you're mean still. I'm not as mean as I was 25 years ago. Trust me. The test of the tongue. This is a tough one. That's why I said I failed all of them before I got to this one. I didn't want you to think I failed the test of the tongue. It says, let not many, this is chapter 3, verse 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur stricter judgment. For we all, what? Stumble in many ways. I'm glad he said that. I feel better now. Because I thought I was the only one for a long time. It's just it's going to be, God's going to be harder on me because I'm a teacher. Amen? Don't say that too loud, that scares me. (laughs) (laughs) But it says we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. You realize he's saying that sarcastically. If you don't stumble in any way, you're a perfect man. You don't need to hear this discussion. Okay, there's none of those. You're a perfect man and you're able to bridle your whole body as well. Now, if we put the bit in a horse's mouth so that they will obey us, and we direct the horse's entire body as well, look at the ships also. There are great ships, and they're driven by strong winds, but they're directed by a small rudder, right? Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things, (laughs) Think of it every time you boasted with that tongue, how great you are, how wonderful you are, how nobody's better than you, nobody's smarter than you, nobody does this better or that better, and, and we've all done it, right? But back to the subject, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives. And is set on fire by hell. where every species of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed. Everything can be domesticated and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord the Father and with it we curse men. He who has been made in the likeness of God from the same mouth blessing and cursing both. My brethren, these things ought not to be true. Does a fountain send out the same opening, both fresh and bitter? Can a fig tree produce olives and uh, wine produce figs or salt produce, salt water produce fresh water? He's saying, remember this is in context of testing to see if we have genuine faith. One of the ways you can know you have genuine faith is you're starting to have some success in controlling your tongue. Like you're starting to... It used to be, I say whatever I want. I say whenever I want. I say it as harsh and coarsely as I want, as blunt as I want. And then you read the book of James and you say, Oh my God, Lord, there's that mirror again. I've got to change. I've got to change. You say, well, yeah, you do, man. You've got problems. And it's so easy when it's talking about me. But you've got to change. You've got to personalize this message. You've got to take me out of it because I'm, all I'm doing is trying to prove to you what legitimate faith is because I want you to have it so bad that I would do anything for you to have it. And you've got to personalize this, and you've got to walk your life regularly opening up books like James and saying, Do I have the real thing? Is my tongue more under control today? And you say, Well, you're not giving examples, so I don't know. How much do you badmouth people? Like, have you ever said, Would Jesus do that? You say, Wait a minute, that's just a bracelet. No, I said one W. This is different. Would Jesus do that? What would Jesus do? Okay? So, do we open up the Word of God? Again, I've failed probably this week, probably within the last ten minutes. But are we people of faith? Are we the little engine that could? Are we saying... Can I succeed in this area of my life? Can I have control of my tongue? And there's only one person that can control the tongue, and that's the Holy Spirit. That means, can I go through five minutes in the morning without unleashing the beast? Did you see it was full of poison and it set afire by hell? You say, well, man, my words don't have that impact. It does. My words have that impact. And again, I fail. Regularly, but what God wants to do is have only fresh water come out of this mouth, only blessings come out of this mouth, not hell coming out of this mouth, but heaven. And it's weird—the same mouth that can bless and 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 help people find salvation and healing, the same one that can cut them like a knife. And so, one of the marks that I have the genuine faith is. Am I bridling that tongue by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because no man can tame it. You say, well, I'm going to turn over a good leaf. I'm going to be better at it. You'll lose. You'll get worse. But am I allowing the Holy Spirit to tame my tongue? That's a genuine mark that I have faith, that that's happening. You say, well, wait a minute. He said he was sorry. He never says he's sorry. Well, man, that looks like a genuine mark. You know, he said something nice to me. He never said anything nice to me. He said he understands me and he really seems like he does. That's a mark. How many know these are all marks? Hey, foul language doesn't come out of that mouth anymore than it used to. That's a genuine mark. Something's happening. Something tamed the tongue. Every beast has been tamed, but not that. The Holy Spirit's working in my life. I can see the difference. I'm trying to be nicer to people, kinder. I don't just say what I want. I lost the right to say what I want. Now I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit do it. Amen. told you I was going to be long. I'm sorry. Test of wisdom. You say, wow, man, finally. This is the one I have in droves. Go on, just sit back and put your hands behind your head and puff your chest out. And say, man, the bad list is gone, so now the good list. Let's talk about how smart I am. Me, let's talk about how smart I am, all right? Okay, this one's gonna hurt. Who among you is wise and understanding? That's a question, like that's the rhetorical question. Do not answer. One time my coach lined us up. I hate to make my sermon longer, but he lined us up and he ran us to where we couldn't breathe anymore, we all had cotton mouth. we couldn't go another step. And again, and it's dark, you know, Coach Myers, he looked like Sergeant Slaughter, literally. And he tormented us, tormented us, and tormented us. And he walks along the, the line and he says, Okay, who wants to go home now and have a warm meal and be done with all this? And one guy jumped up and down <laughs> me. And we were like, Oh, no. And he goes, "Supper's going to be cold tonight. <laughs> you do not say that. And we all knew it, but one guy didn't. And um, so when he asks, who among you is wise and understanding, do not jump up and down with your hand up and say, me! And that's what we do, don't we? We read the Word of God and we think we are so smart. And he says, let that man that just said, me, 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 let him show by his good behavior his deeds is gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, you have selfish ambitions in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. So if you're so wise, then why are you so selfishly ambitious? Well, that's what I'm doing, Chad. I'm trying to show everybody how smart I am. I'm trying to make sure that they revel in my knowledge that when I walk in the room, they realize that a brilliant scholar has walked in the room. I told you this was going to hurt. Let him show it by his good behavior, his gentle wisdom. And if you have bitter jealousy against other people and selfish ambition, how many know if you're smart, you don't want anybody to be smarter? You've got wisdom, you don't want anybody to have more wisdom. All right. He said, why is your wisdom and knowledge turning into bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in your heart? Don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which um, that comes down from heaven, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Just say what you mean, James. So if your wisdom is translating into you being better than everybody, and you holding it over people, that's not real wisdom. That's Earthly, natural, and demonic—they Satan put that in your heart. Your wisdom should be trying to make you be a better-behaved person and gentle wisdom. He says this wisdom comes down from does not come from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish, ambitious ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. I thought money was the root of evil. Sometimes knowledge is. Amen. That's, you say, well, why do we have so many factions, so many disagreements, so many arguing theologians? Because one is trying to be smarter than the next one. Amen? Um, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without... Am I reading along? Hypocrisy. So, the real wisdom is me trying to truly live out the difficult words the Bible's telling me. It's not showing people how much I know, it's trying to live it out. That's much harder than understanding sometimes. Living it out without hypocrisy, it says there. And the seed, whose fruit is righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, I'm gonna have to go quickly here. What time is it? 11.59, I've got one minute to cover five. James 4, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not your pleasures that wage war with you? You lust and you don't have enough. You commit murder, you're envious you cannot, of the things you cannot cont- obtain. You fight and you quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, we take that you do not have because you do not ask, and people are asking for sports cars. But what he's actually saying here, this is the test of faith about indulging in the world. It's like, why do you have so many problems? Because I want more of the world. I want more things. I want more honor. I want more glory. I want more money. I want more of these things. More, more, more. The test of faith is not do I get more of the world. A genuine faith wants more of God. And that's what he's saying here. You lust, you do not have. You commit murder, you're envious, you cannot obtain. You fight, you quarrel, you do not have. How many know that's called the rat race of life? We're all fighting for our piece of the share, all right? You ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives. So you spend it all on your pleasures. You adulteresses, you do not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of of God. Do you think that the Scriptures speak for no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he made to dwell within you. You hear that? You're fighting to get more of the world, and the spirit is jealously saying, I was made for you. One genuine part of faith is, do you want more of God, or do you want more glory, honor, power, money, materialism from the world, or do I want more of God? You say, is it wrong to have things? No, it's not wrong to have things. It's wrong for things to have you. It's wrong for things to have you. The most important thing to me, Chad, is getting ahead in life and having money. Well, then it's awful hard because there's a war and a tug of war going on for do you want God or do you want the world, and the world's going to win that. But if I want God, then I probably have a genuine faith. Like God is, is more important to me than getting ahead at work. Well, Chad, if you go to that dinner party at work and you don't drink, you're going to get behind, man. They're going to look at you like a weirdo. And faith says, I don't care how they look at me. I care how God looks at me. You know, I don't care how many friends, I don't care how popular, I don't care what everybody else is doing. All I care is do I have genuine faith and is God pleased with me? And that's a, how I many know that's a genuine verification of faith? That attitude. Test of dependence. It says, Come away. Come now, you say. Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city. We'll spend a year. We'll engage in business. We'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears a little while and then it vanishes away. The test of dependence, like am I totally dependent on me? Some of you say, man, God can wait, I'll do it tomorrow. In church, the truth is, none of us know we will have the next five minutes. If you have real faith, and I can verify it, you will live your life knowing that I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, only God does. Only God knows if you'll live another five minutes, church. And I, you say, well, man, you're just saying that you don't know. No, we, we, we see it all the time. One's taken here, one's taken there, one's taken here. And a genuine article of faith is I have a recognition of that in my life. That I, you know, my, my, uh, um, attitude toward that is I can't do that because what if the Lord returns at this moment? And it's a constant thing in my life. What if God returns at this moment? What if God returns at this moment? And so I don't sin for a season because I know that God may return at any moment. So I don't want to live a lifestyle of sin. Hallelujah. All right, here I go. Ten, the test of delayed gratification, James 5. Come on, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted your garments and you become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, they rust and will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mold your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you. The outcry of those who did the harvesting have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man um, who did not even resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, and it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your heart, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain, goes through a whole list there. But here's the thing, the test of delayed gratification, patient endurance, delayed gratification, true faith understands that a seed has been planted, and when that seed grows and is taken care of, there is a great reward. True faith recognizes that, genuine faith recognizes there is a delayed reward And I can either have my reward now or I can have the reward that's stored up for me. The rich man there is just simply a person that says, I want my reward now. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'll have pleasures and I'll I'll, um, avoid God. But real faith understands and with expectant hope, genuine faith always has expectant hope of the reward to come. It's a part of faith. If you don't have that, Um, you need to make sure what your faith is in because my faith is in the hope of the Lord. And it has to be rooted in that. Test of truthfulness. Above all, my brethren, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, no be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. One test of faith is you're truthful with people. You're a truthful person. I tell the truth. I'm honest. How many know when you have a believer and you're looking to see, man, is that a real believer? And they're constantly lying? How many know that's a test of a believer, a test of genuine faith is that I'm honest in all my dealings. I'm honest with God. There's no mask. I'm not hiding me. How many know you can't even go to church if you wear a mask every week? You go to church and say, hey, good Christian person on Sunday, but Monday I can do whatever I want. And God's saying, be a truthful person. And that is a sign of genuine faith. Why do I need a mask if I have real faith? I don't need one. I don't need a costume. I don't need a mask. I'm just me. Sinner saved by grace. All true. All right, test of prayerfulness. James 5. I'm not going to go into these. But James 5 is a person who has genuine faith, wants to pray, pray, pray for fellow believers. They want to pray for the sick. They want to pray for those who are, it's a true test of faith that I believe in God, that I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for other people. I want to have communion and a relationship with God. Stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah. Amen. Church, go home and dig in in James. Hallelujah. Let's bow our head in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And I just pray today, Lord God, Father, my desire, Lord, my purpose here as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, Lord, I want my family and and, and our church family to have genuine, real faith, Lord, faith that's active, faith that pursues, Lord God. Lord, the world doesn't have it, Lord God, only the ones that received you, Lord God, in their heart, Lord. Lord, I pray today that this message, Lord, would find good soil, Lord, would grow. Father, one day, Lord, all of us, my family, my church family, everybody, Lord, we can celebrate together, Lord. Lord, we can celebrate together in your presence, Lord. Lord, that faith will bore the ultimate fruit, Lord God. Being in eternity with you, Lord. Oh, Lord, do a work in this church now, Lord. Every heart, Lord. In your name I pray. Hallelujah. If you'd leave your eyes closed, I just want to ask you. Do you have the genuine faith? You made a commitment in your life that, Chad, not only do I want to receive Jesus as the Lord of my life, I want to stay on track. I want to I have active faith. I want my faith to go beyond the profession, and I want to live it out every day. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to let the Holy Spirit work through you. Let the Holy Spirit every day have access to your heart, have access to your actions, have actions access to your life and if that's you today and you say man I've never given my heart to the Lord I've never asked the Holy Spirit to fill me Chad I'm struggling in my Christian walk I need to get back on track that's you today and I've never given your heart to the Lord let me see your hand anybody here Lord I'm going to open the altars here if you need prayer we're here for that. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you through the difficulties of life. How many know the various trials we prayerfully have to go through? Those we have to figure out what kind of trial is it. It's not do you say what's well, just a trial? There's various trials. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to help us through those trials. And so, whatever you're going through, just know number one that it's normal. You I don't know, this one's a bad one. It's normal, trust me. Normal is, uh, it, sometimes it's real, real, real rough to get through normal. It takes everything you have and you don't know if you're going to make it out the other end. But I'm telling you, faith will see you to the end. It will see you through everything. You say, well, you've never been through anything. Church, I've been through it, and my faith is still intact, and many here have been through it. Their faith is still intact, and you know what I know? I know I have faith, because it's been tested. It's been genuine. It's held up. So if that's you today, and you need prayer, we want to pray for you. Make an altar at your seat. Praise the Lord. We're going to worship one song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We are so thankful for your house. Lord, we can worship together. Pray together, Lord God. Sing together, Lord. Just glorify you, Lord God. We're thankful for your presence, your attendance here, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that your people would go in your power, power of your presence. Lord, like they said of the disciples, Lord, that you could tell that they had been with the Lord. Lord, let us be that way, Lord God. your name we pray.